Adichie, Adichie, Solomon and Adra, Adra, Adra whichever way you want to say it. <laughs> and you're listening to Afromythos, the podcast where we discuss all things African mythology, folklore and culture. Thank you for taking the time out to explore this amazing world of us. Yes, thank you. So today we'll be talking about a pretty cool group of deities that all have one thing in common. They have something to do with nature. Many mythologies um, feature deities associated with natural elements or phenomena. For example, in Greek mythology, Poseidon is the god of the sea, whilst Zeus is the god of the sky and thunder. Yeah, and you know, uh, taking it to the African continent, there's Oya, the Yoruba ratio of wind, storm and transformation. Aja, the Yoruba ratio of the forest and animals that dwell with it. There's Asasiya, the Ikang goddess of the earth, otherwise known as Mother Earth. Mm. Can you name any more? Um, Babaluaye. Interesting. Why? Because the name literally translates to Baba, um, Baba, which means um, father. And then Luaye is Lord of the Earth. Okay. I'll give you that one. I'll yeah. give you that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a nature deity? Hmm. Well, a nature deity is a type of divine entity associated with natural forces or phenomena often found in, you know, the mythologies of various cultures, including those of Greek, Norse, Egyptian, and many more. That's right. So they're spiritual entities frequently portrayed as metaphysical, supernatural, or even transcendent. In mythology, nature deities are amongst the most powerful and revered beings, from the earliest depictions of God and goddesses controlling the forces of nature to more contemporary interpretations. Yeah, so that means nature deities in the broadest sense encompass all those who are part of the pantheon of natural forces. So you might be intrigued to know that there's a vast array of incredible nature deities in African mythology and folklore. Which is fitting considering Africa's diverse and rich cultural heritage. Some of these entities may be familiar to you, while others will be brand new, but that's why we're here. And with that, today we'll be discussing the nature deities in African folklore and mythology. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> You're so first. So I think I'm first. Yes, okay. you are. Uh, okay. I looked it up earlier. Damn, right. I had to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I will be talking about... Mukasa. Mukasa. Yes. Okay. The Baganda deity of rain and agriculture, intertwined with the essence of the earth and the bounty of natural resources. Ooh. So, can you guess where? Oh, have you already seen? I was going to no, say, can I you guess I, what country? I, I can't read that first. Okay, can you guess um, what country I'm taking you to? Mukasa. It sounds like South Africa region. <laughs> no, Botswana. No, it's okay. 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 <laughs> so today we're embarking on a fascinating journey to Uganda. Where's Uganda? To unravel the mystery <laughs> of Mikasa. That wasn't true. I actually don't know where Uganda is in terms of on the map of Africa. Yeah, in terms of the map of Africa, um, I think, I don't know. <laughs> Great insight. <laughs> Let's pause and find out. I'm really bad at geography. Yeah, I know. I'm, so I'm, it's like I'm trying know. to force it's, us to I know learn. This, yeah, this. I know there's people shouting. Ah, it's East Africa. East Africa. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It, it, it does say it down there. So. To all my beautiful Ugandans. Okay, so yeah, um, we're going to Uganda today. I don't think we've explored anywhere in Uganda yet. Any deities or anything? We might have touched. We on might it, have touched but, on it, but not properly. Yeah. 
Right, so Mikasa is a benevolent god with a profound influence over the elements. So let's, you know, dive into a bit of um, Ganda mythology. Okay. So just to give you a bit of background, the Baganda are the largest ethnic group in Uganda, compromising about 16.9% of the country's population. Um, this stat is from 2014, so it might have changed. It's been like 10 years. <laughs> They've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> so they primarily inhabit the central region, including the capital city of Kampala and the surrounding areas, which was once the kingdom of Buganda. Mm. So the Buganda people are part of a broader group of Bantu-speaking populations that inhabit large portions of East, Central and Southern Africa. So the Buganda are also skilled craftsmen and women with traditional arts like pottery, weaving and blacksmithing passed down through generations. So have you heard of this thing called bark cloth? No, I actually haven't. So I came across it in the research and it's really cool. It's like a craft product made from these trees called matuba trees. Mm. And it's actually a really integral part of Baganda culture. And it's like they make cloth out of the tree barks. Right. Is it like weave it like bamboo weave sort of kind of yeah it's yeah. like it's really really cool so um if you're listening just search bark cloth it's really cool it's so cool that the unesco so the united nations educational scientific and cultural organization has recognized it as a masterpiece of the oral and intangible heritage of of humanity wow yeah wow it's really cool it kind of gives me almost kente vibes but more kind of earthy yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, like more muted tones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like that. It's really cool. Yeah. Like so um, the religion among the Baganda is multifaceted. While many have adopted Christianity, it's also split. Um, Christianity in Baganda is split between Roman Catholicism and Protestant Protestants. Protestantism. <laughs> Protestantism. <laughs> <laughs> and the significant minority also practice Islam. Um, however, there's still a thread of traditional beliefs that still weaves through the fabric of Baganda society as we come across with a lot of societies like, you know, the Yoruba, the Khans, there's still kind of always that thread of the traditional beliefs that some people still uphold. As it should. As it should. As it should. As it should. <laughs> um, so yeah within these beliefs they've revered a pantheon of gods and spirits with Mikasa the god of the lake or rain being particularly important and that's who I'm going to be talking about today mm. so it sounds like there's really... the people that, uh, there's a person that they were they were singing about when they're like you know that Toto song I bless the rain down in <laughs> <and> wow <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay um that song was actually called Africa. Yeah. Um, so Mikasa is a member of the Pantheon of Gods or Balubale in Baganda traditional religion and is considered the god of prosperity, harvest, fertility, and health. So in several myths, he's also associated with divinis- divination and prophecies. So um, through my research, I found that Mikasa was originally a hero. So I was like, this is giving like you know, deified ancestor vibes. Like, you know, in our AMR, when we discussed what a deified ancestor is, Mm -hmm. basically like someone who's like disappeared or died in an interesting way and they've become Mm. like a deity. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's also like, you know, in Greek mythology as well, when you have people like Hercules. Yes, exactly. Hercules originally a god. Yeah, but but you know. know. (laughs) Shango. (laughs) Yeah, Shango, Shango, same. Um, So yeah, so apparently he ascended to become a deity. So he's one of the highest ranked gods in the Balubale. And in some sources, he's actually known as its chief, which is interesting because nature deities aren't usually known as like the chiefs of like the 
gods, if that makes sense. Well, they are, but like not not the ones that are like agriculture and rain. Yeah. It's more like the ones that are like the sky and the thunder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are like the leaders. The agriculture ones are normally like after. So from what yeah, I've seen yeah, in the yeah, structure yeah, yeah, of yeah, like no. things. It's like, I guess because agriculture is like secondary to the human experience. Although it's integral it's, to a human yeah. It's like you see the sky, you see the earth. And then you do stuff with it. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. The sky always seems like it's higher. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because he's like the chief. Um, so Mikasa is also recognized as the guardian of Lake Victoria. Um, and his primary temple is located in Bubembe and the Bubembe Island. And it's still present to this day, his temple. I Googled some pics of the Bubembe Island and it looks really nice. Oh, nice. Um, it's like, it's like, this is my knowledge. I think I, from what I remember it's one of the, 84 islands on Lake Victoria and most of them are inhabited, like un- uninhabited, sorry. So most of them are like just islands that nobody okay. lives yeah. on. Yeah. You use like double, triple negatives. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> My English is not English in today. Yay. Yay. Okay. Sorry. I digress. So Mikasa is the son of the god Wanema and is the grandson of Musisi the personification of earthquake. So these pantheon of, of deities seem so interesting. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. we kind of come across them again in another episode. But he's also the brother of the god of war, Kibuka. And he had three wives, Nawanga, with whom he had two children, Lawanga and Mizozi. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering these names, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, so let me tell you a story about Mikasa. Cause you know, as I said, he was mm-hmm. a deified ancestor. So how did he become one? Yeah, uh, where have I heard the name Mukasa before? I don't know. I, I feel like I've really? heard it before somewhere. But yeah, carry on. I hope you're not confusing it with. I know I'm not confusing it with Mufasa okay. in case. In okay. Case, <laughs> in case you're wondering. So myths say that when Mukasa was a child, he refused to eat ordinary food and disappeared from home, later being found on an island sitting under a large tree. A man who saw him there took him to a garden and lifted him onto a rock. People were afraid to take him to their houses, thinking he was a spirit. So they built a hut for him on the rock. They did not know what to give him to eat because he had refused all of their food. But when they killed an ox, he asked for his blood, liver and heart. Then the people knew he was a god and consulted him in any trouble. Mikasa lived on the island for many years, married three wives, was cared for by priests and at last disappeared as he had suddenly appeared. So as mysteriously as he came, he left. His temple was a conical reed hut, which was rebuilt at intervals on the express of orders of the king. Originally, it was said that Mikasa spoke his will directly to the priests, but later they used mediums who uttered his messages. So the medium never entered the temple, but had a special hut in front of it. And when seeking to know the will of Mikasa, she smoked some tobacco until the spirit came upon her. And then she announced in a shrill voice what was to be done. So the medium was not allowed to marry or walk in, or walk about in the sight of men or talk to any man but the priest. And once chosen, they was held in that position until the age of 89 to 90 of death. Wow, retirement age. Yeah, no <laughs> retirement. <laughs> 89 retirement age. Oh my God. In which country is 89? So city girl. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway. So in the Baganda religion, it was common to make offerings to Mikasa in order to ensure good rains for the crops and a plentiful catch from the lake and also just general prosperity and well-being for the people. And that is all I have on Mikasa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that great segment. No problem. So wait, 
in, in, in that it's her that she smoked tobacco until she saw God. No. Until she was able to speak to. Yeah. It's like she smoked the tobacco until the spirit came upon her and then she would. Wow. He's for the audio listeners, he's winking. And I don't know why you're winking. <laughs> yeah, she smoked the tobacco. Uh <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Arts interpretation. <laughs> but yeah, that's Mukasa. Very interesting. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh. I love a good deified ancestor. I feel like they just made him um because he wouldn't eat anything apart from the blood, liver, and the heart. So yeah. Like you must be a deity. I feel like there's other questions I would be asking if yeah, a baby's just saying that that's what they want to eat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm. Maybe. Okay, you move. Where are okay. you taking us? I am taking you to South Africa. Oh, Southern Africa, actually. Uh, okay. So it could be anywhere. Very confusing. We discussed <laughs> we discussed this earlier. How confusing it is because obviously there's the country South Africa, but then like. For instance, we're West Africans. When we say, "Oh, I'm, we're from West Africa," but like if you're from the South of Africa, do you have to say? I'm from the South of Africa Because if you or, say I'm South African Yeah It gets confusing Yeah You're definitely from The country South Africa yeah. Or are you from Southern Africa yeah. Which comprises of Many different countries In the South of Africa Let us know If you're from there What do you say Because mm. it's actually Like interesting Yeah Okay so <clears throat> Just gonna take a sip of water Glug glug <sighs> Some ASMR for you Haven't done that in a while <laughs> Okay, so we're diving deep into the captivating mythology of Kang, the creator god of the sand people of Southern Africa. Get ready for an engaging and immersive journey into the realm of the sand people and their rich mythological tapestry. Mm-hmm. So the, the sand people, mm-hmm. um, also known as, as the Bushmen, mm-hmm. are an indigenous group that are inhabited that has inhabited Southern Africa for thousands of years. They have a deep connection with the land and a profound understanding of the natural world. Their mythology is rich with stories and beliefs that intertwine with their daily lives, guiding their relationship with nature, spirits, and deities. So the sand people are known for their intricate knowledge of the natural world. Their survival depends on on their profound understanding of plants, animals, and the ecosystems that they inhabit. They've developed unique hunting and gathering techniques, which have been passed down through generations, enabling them to thrive in harsh environments of the of the Kalahari Desert and other regions. Mm-hmm. I think one of those habits was I think sometimes they shoot a deer or eland, um, and then they sort of track it. Like they don't kill it, so mm. it just like sort of like bleeds, mm. and so then they track where it goes because it's going to go to the other ones. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and then they. Wow. After a while, then they hunt it again. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of you know that movie June, and it had the people with the in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm imagining them wearing that those type of clothing and stuff. Yeah, something similar. Okay, I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying I can't to remember imagine movie. for word for word. <laughs> but in my imagination of the movie, that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> Please don't quote me on that. <laughs> oh, um. Okay. So. 
One of the defining features of the Sun culture is their egalitarian social st- structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so they live in small, close knit groups known as bands or clans, consisting of you know extended families. Um, Decision making within these groups is typically based on consens- consensus, emphasizing the importance of cooperation and collective responsibility. Um, this communal approach fosters a sense of unity and ensures an equitable distribution of resources, mm. which sounds really nice. Sounds, sounds really nice. Would you live in a close band of family and friends? I, 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 I put friends in there because I'm hoping that there's a <laughs> You just added that one. It said family. <laughs> family, friends. Um, So Sans society values oral tradition Storytelling and art Is an essential component of their Cultural expression Through intricate rock paintings and engravings Found throughout southern Africa The Sans people have left behind A remarkable artistic legacy Mm -hmm. And these artworks are um, Often depict scenes of daily life Like hunting expeditions um, Spiritual rituals and Mythological beings I'm intrigued Yeah so open it So I put a link to some images Of some of the um, Sans paintings um, Rock paintings So these are one of like the earliest um, Forms of creativity in human in humanity really? So that's why these are important Yeah these are one of the earliest Forms no of like art and expression That we've sort of seen And they're actually quite good Like yeah. this Like I can see Leg Like actual calf Like Like Muscle it's Artist just, Do you know what I find these Ancient Old drawings So interesting Because it's like Somebody drew that Like I don't know It's just Yeah Like somebody Like a human Sat down, sat down And made those marks mm-hmm. And was trying to tell a story It's just so cool I'm sorry Yeah and yeah. it's really cool Because there's like The first evidence of humans Being able to Document storytelling You know yeah. These artworks help us You know Better understand The culture of the her- Early hunter-gatherer societies Like there's some images That would show How they sort of hunted There were some images That showed you know um, Their women And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a nice image. There's, there's one thing you know that's always stayed true for the t- time or time or time again. It's a woman's figure. Look at yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ha- have a look, search it up, and and sort of see it because they're really yeah, they're really cool. nice to see. Um, um, so at the center of their mythological system is Kang, the revered creator god who shaped the world and all living beings. Kang. I think it's Kang, but it's with two A's, so it could be Kang. Or Kong. Or Kong. But that is Kong. Okay. Kong. It sounds very English. Well, Kong. <laughs> Kang. Kang. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let us know how you actually say it. Yeah. So, Kang is believed <laughs> Kang is believed to be omnipotent, existing beyond time and space. He's exos- he is associated with the vastness and power of the universe, and this influence reaches every corner of the sun's people's lives. Mm-hmm. So when I you know, when I was looking up Kang, mm-hmm. it was really interesting because I know Kang from a different reasons from Marvel. So like Comic and storytelling So there's In Marvel There's Kang the Conqueror Oh okay um, And I think you also see The new um, Ant-Man and Wasp movie Oh I haven't watched haven't it watched it But he was also played by Is it Jonathan Majors? He is 
You can say any guy's name. <laughs> that will not the know. guy that that um is acting with Michael B. Jordan in that Creed movie. Oh, yeah. him. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's played by him. Anyway, I segue. Um, the San people considered Kang as the originator of all life, the giver of knowledge, and the cus- and the custodian of their traditional their traditions and customs. He is deeply associated with nature, embodying the forces that sustain the delicate balance of the ecosystem. As a deity associated with creation, Kang is often depicted as a benevolent figure guiding the San people people in their agricultural practices and ensuring the abundance of their land. One prominent myth tells the story of the Great Hunt, a monumental event orchestrated by Kang to sustain the sun's people um, during times of scarcity. You know, they live in a desert, so, you know, there's probably a lot of that going on um, at times and seasons. Mm -hmm. In this tale, Kang calls upon the animals of the land and gives them the choice to sacrifice themselves for the survival of the sun people. So it sounded very like... Hunger Games yeah. vibes, like who volunteers? So uh, the animals are sacrificing themselves for people. Yeah, yeah. I can just imagine how it went. So like he just gathers them. He's like, so you're probably wondering, you know, why I've gathered you here today. One of you is going to be eaten today. Oh, dang. And he just like winks at like the the, the eland, which is like a antelope type, oh, okay. um, which is normally yeah. um, hunted. Anyway, in this story, the eland, um, with its great size and strength, volunteered to be the primary source of sustenance, understanding the importance of its role in maintaining the balance of nature. Mm-hmm. As the story goes, Kang um, arranges for the animals to be haunted, establishing a reciprocal relationship between humans and animals. And the sans people engage in the hunt with the utmost respect and gratitude, acknowledging that the sacrifices made by the eland um, through this myth, um, the sans people express their deep reverence for their interconnectedness of all living beings and the need for harmony and balance. So in a few of like the... Um, Sons people myths It has to do with like The animals And sort of like The balance of human Yeah that's nature. true It reminds me of, Kang yeah. also appears In that You were gonna say Yeah in that other Creation story, story yeah. Where you know They lose their ability To speak yeah. to animals So um, we told this story Again <laughs> On our TikTok About um, how Humans lost the ability To speak to animals And it was about fire And it was about Humans disobeying The will of Kang mm-hmm. And yeah It's really cool Yeah, yeah definitely So <clears throat> To understand the culture and lifestyle of the sun's people of the sun people, it's important to recognize their spiritual practices and rituals. The sun people engage in trance dances, which are sacred ceremonies where they connect with the spiritual realm. During these rituals, they seek guidance from Kang and other deities, honoring their role as stewards of the land. So I have a little clip of one of the trans um, trance. Ooh, I was on dancing. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna watch a clip. Yay! Traditions, but is this one like a male dancing around a fire and the females are sitting around? This is what it's looking like. I don't, 
I'm not, I'm not sure I've seen that it has oh, anything okay. to do with gender. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I just think it's someone dancing. Okay. Um, I'm only yeah. saying this because I saw a video recently. I think it was a Kenyan tribe. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. And it it's was like a Maasai. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. I think so, maybe. And it was like um the <clears throat> the men in the tribe is they're kind of like peacocking oh, dance okay. for the women in the tribe to pick mm. them. Yeah, I guess this is a bit different because this isn't sort of like a male yeah, thing. There's more just, to connect uh, with God. Okay, cool. Um, okay, that's that. <clears throat> so in addition to Kang, um, the Sans people's mythology um, features a diverse array of deities and mythological beings that play significant roles in the spiritual belief and cultural practices. Mm-hmm. So there's the... Mantis, also known as Kagin, is a trickster figure in the Sun's mythology. Mm. So Mantis is often depicted as a mischievous, clever, and unpredictable and unpredictable. He plays pranks, challenges, conventions, and disrupts the order to teach valuable lessons and bring out change. Um, Mantis embodies the spirit of creativity, adaptability, and transformation. Sounds very similar to Ananta. Yeah, and Mantis is also like uh, uh, insect, insect praying yeah. mantis. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Is it a spider or just an insect? It's a you know mantis is it's one of those green yeah. ones that's like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the eland. Um. So the eland is, is a large antelope-like creature which holds great significance in sand mythology. Yeah. It's believed to be a messenger between the spirit world and humans, and the eland symbolizes fertility abundance and spiritual power rituals and ceremonies are often conducted to honor and communicate with the eland so there's the python the python is a revered creature in sun mythology associated with wisdom healing and protection it is believed to possess ancient wisdom um, knowledge um, and is seen as a guardian of sacred sites the sun people seek the guidance and blessings of the python during spiritual ceremonies And then there's the chameleon. The chameleon is a mystical creature in sun mythology, known for its ability to change colors and blends into its surroundings. It is considered a symbol of adaptability, perception, and intuition. The sun people view the chameleon as a um, guardian of secrets and guides through the unseen realms. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. I've never seen a chameleon in real life, but I'd love to. Yeah, I know. I'll just, it'll be so interesting to actually see See it it change change colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the presence of animal in the mythology of the San people holds significant um, cultural and symbolic meaning. In San culture, animals are seen as more than just physical beings. They embody spiritual qualities and serve as messengers between the human world and the divine realm. And yeah, I think that's all about the San people. Okay, so next up, we're going to Ghana. Ghana, West Africa, best country in the world to see Subjective. the <laughs> <laughs> <I> say, accusations. <laughs> and I'll be telling you about the powerful earth goddess Asasiya. Um, so Asasiya is a highly revered earth goddess in the Akan religion, which is primarily practiced by the Akan people of Ghana and also Cote d'Ivoire and general some places in West Africa. Mm-hmm. She's also known as Mother Earth and is considered to be the embodiment of Earth and all its natural resources. So of course we've come across Asasiyal a lot because we've painted our own depiction of her. Yeah. And we've told a few, you know, 
um, videos. Yeah, I remember when we did the AMR video, someone said that, oh yeah, the Khan's people, there's a lot of them in Cote d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Comments really, you know, when they're constructive and <laughs> information packed, they're really useful. Thank you. We uh, <laughs> so she goes by a few names. She's also often referred to as a Berua, which means old woman and mother earth, as I said before. Um, so the name of Sasaya is actually based on the Khan tradition of day naming, which we're both familiar with. Obviously mm-hmm. I am. Um, so Ya is because, um, Sorry. So Ya is um, for females born on a Thursday and Asase means earth. So Asase Ya. And this name has been given to her because most of Khan believe that Nyame created the earth on a Thursday. However, the Fanti believe that Nyame created the earth on a Friday. So they call her Asase Efwa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. So if you hear it, it's basically they're talking about the same person, but it's just depending on where you are. Yeah. But I feel like Asase Ya was the most well-known mm. Um, name. So Asasiya was recognized as the goddess of fertility and agriculture as well. Um, as she's the provider of the soil, the, uh, the Akan, <clears throat> as the provider of the soil, the Akan people believe that she gives life, nurturing all plants and animals that come from the earth. Hence the success of crops and farming cycles is believed to be in her control, making her a very important figure for farmers because they feel sense. like, you know, she decides when you have a good day mm-hmm. or month. I don't know how long <laughs> farming takes. <laughs> So the Akan society is traditionally agrarian and the reverence shown to Saseya underscores the importance that they place on agriculture and natural resources. Wait, wait, sorry, sorry. what is agrarian? <laughs> agrarian. Agrarian. So an agrarian society is a social and an economic system in which the majority of the population is engaged in agricultural production. So these societies typically rely on manual labor, traditional farming methods and limited use of technology. So they place a lot of, you know, emphasis on how the society is built on agriculture. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So traditionally, Akans were very much agrarian. Not so much anymore? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, there was a lot of like um, strong agriculture in there, you know, with the cocoa, um, gold mining, all of that. Mm. Just general agriculture. I don't know anything about agriculture. <laughs> I can tell. It, <laughs> well, damn. <laughs> in Akan cosmology, she's the wife of Nyame, the creator, and it's just as prevalent in the spiritual culture of the Akan as Nyame is. Their union is seen as a representation of harmony between heaven and earth, and this alliance resulted in two sons, Tano, the god of river, and Bi, who stands as the symbol of power and authority. I remember we talked about this in the very, very first episode, I think. Mm. Yeah, because the names ring a bell. The names do ring yeah. a bell, but I want to know more about Bia because I've never heard. Mm, really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fact, I've not heard of Tano either. Yeah. Not, I've heard the name, but I've not, no, I've not really yeah. delved into it. Yeah. yeah. Asasiya was also considered a goddess of truth and justice, and it's believed that she will judge humans after death based on their behavior and respect towards the earth and nature during their lifetime. I like this. So don't drop litter, walk and cycle when you can. Don't waste water, you know, mm. all of the good stuff all that they've been stuff. telling us. Save our planet. Save our planet. It, it, it's five minutes to midnight or nine seconds to midnight. I'm not, I'm not sure what they say, but time is ticking. <laughs> and it's almost, we're almost at the point of no return. And there's no planet B. I saw that somewhere. <laughs> I thought that was so smart. 
Yeah, no, no, no. Because you know plan B, there's no planet B. Yeah, I know they say that, but I know the rich people are working on I know. planet B. Do you know what the, do you know what the dreadful <laughs> thing is? I feel like there's a big bunch of like spaceships somewhere that people have already paid in advance for and they're all gonna hop on it and fly to the moon. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully not the moon. What? Because I shouldn't want that them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was waiting to see where you were going with I that. Was, yeah, I, I was going to say something else, but then I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried. Yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, be good to the earth. Um, otherwise, they can't believe that, you know, Asasiya will judge you after you die. And wherever you go is how well you acted on the earth. So this reflects the deeply rooted belief in environmental conservation and sustainable practices within the Akan culture. It also suggests that the respect of nature and good stewardship of the earth's resources are not just practical considerations, but moral obligations. So it's a bit deeper than just, you know, being practical to save the earth is also a moral duty for us. Mm-hmm. Um, in Akan tradition, Whenever someone is suspected of telling a lie, they are told to touch the tip of their tongue to the earth as evidence of their honesty. Um, but that's that's when it's good ground, n- n- not in this concrete. <laughs> hey, if you're lying, you better be licking that floor to prove that. <laughs> I'll lick this floor, not, not, not the one out there. So there are no shrines de- dedicated to Asasiya, nor are there priests who serve her, as she is not an abosom, which is a deity. We also covered this in our YouTube series. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's not an abosom who people consult through divination. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So this stems from the Akan's core belief that every individual possesses the capacity. <laughs> this stems from the Akan's core belief that every individual possesses the capacity to, ex- to express respect towards Asasiya simply by maintaining cleanliness and care for our shared earth. In turn, her bountiful gifts become readily available to all of us. So that's why, you know, there's no shrines to her. There's mm. no like dedicated appointed priests because the idea is that we should all be able to receive her and, mm. you know, speak to her as long as we take care of the earth. Yeah, I like that. It's like, it takes the whole ego out of yeah. the, the deity and it's more of a, you know, you should respect the earth yeah. for, you know, just the fact that you should respect the earth, not yeah. that, you know, someone's going to punish you if you don't. Yeah. Or not that you've been appointed to or not yeah. that. It's just that, you know, this is everyone's home and everyone should do the best to maintain it. I like that. And that is the happy notes I'm going to end <laughs> <laughs> end this little segment on. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy. Take care of the earth. Okay. Yeah. So we are leaving West Africa. To come back to West Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to talk about um, Osayin, um, pronounced Osayin, I think. Oh, Osayin. Osayin. It's actually it's a really nice name. Yeah, Osayin. Um, but someone can tell me it's pronounced a different way. Someone will tell you. <laughs> someone will tell me. And, you know, voice note it to us. Um, let's see how you say it. Let's see if there's any difference in how other people say it as well. Yeah. Um, so Osayin, I will be saying Osayin, just so you know. <clears throat> Osayin holds a prominent place in Yoruba mythology. Originating from the Yoruba people of Nigeria and Benin, his character encompasses multiple layers of symbolism. Oh, his? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I I don't know much about this Orisha, so I've only seen like what they're the ratio of and I always assumed that it was a woman. Hmm. 
I don't know why. The name just, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've always just assumed wow. as a male deity. Um, but I guess it could be whatever. Um, we'll have a look at some images yeah, after. Cool. Um, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, I was just really no, no. Honestly, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good yeah. point because um, maybe it's just by default I've chosen he, mm. and maybe it is a her to some people. Um, okay. Well, we'll be going with the he for now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Until said otherwise. Um, so his, his character in or their character. No, you can say it. <laughs> his character encompasses multiple layers of symbolism and, and wisdom, reflecting the deep reverence the Yoruba people have for their herbal medicine and their intimate connection with the natural world. So, Osain is um, venerated by the traditional Yoruba religious practitioners known as Ifa or Orissa worshippers. Um, these practitioners revered the Orishas, including Osain, as divine beings with specific domains and powers. Devotees of Osain um, engage in ritual ceremonies and prayers to seek his guidance and healing powers. Traditional healers and herbalists often invoke Osain's blessing and uh, assistance in diagnosing um, illnesses, creating herbal remedies, and performing spiritual um healing rituals. So Osain's character is steeped in the profound wisdom and extensive knowledge of his herbal medicines. As the Lord of the Leaves, he, com- he possesses an unparalleled understanding of the healing properties and uses of plants. The Yoruba people regard him as the ultimate authority on herbal remedies, seeking his guidance for ailments and physical well-being. Um, Osain's character represents the accumulation of knowledge, emphasizing the transformative power of natural remedies. Mm. So one of the most compelling aspects of Osain's character is his close connection with nature. He embodies the essence of the forest, symbolizing its sanctity and the intricate balance between humans and the environment. Hussein serves as the guardian of the forest, reminding the Yoruba people of the profound independence, interdependence between humans and the natural world. His character invites us to recognize the inherent wisdom and healing powers found within nature. Nice. Um, so as an Orisha, Hussein holds divine authority and um, serves as a guide and protector for those who seek his assistance. His character exudes the sense of presence and power, providing guidance, wisdom, and healing to those who honor him and adhere to the traditional associated, the traditions associated with his worship. The Yoruba people engage in ritual ceremonies and prayers to seek Osain's blessings and invoke his assistance in their healing journey. And Osain's character symbolizes the inconnect in the inconnectedness between the spiritual and physical realms and the importance of seeking divine guidance for overall well-being. So in Yoruba folklore, um, there are various stories and legends that mention Osain, um, often it in connection with other deities and events. One such story involves Osain's role in the creation of medicinal herbs and their significance in healing. So according to the Yoruba tradition, after the world was created, the deities had held a gathering to determine how humans could be healed from their illnesses and ailments. Yeah. Each deity presented their gifts and contribution to the well-being of humanity. 
When it was a Saiyan's turn, he revealed an array of extraordinary plants, herbs, and leaves, each possessing unique healing properties. Usain explained how these plants had been carefully cultivated and infused with the power of nature. He demonstrated their, their efficacy by healing the sick and injured with his herbal remedies. Impressed by um, by his knowledge and expertise, the Ovidates acknowledged Osain's contribution and declared him to be the guardian and master of herbal medicines. From that day forward, Osain became highly revered amongst the Yoruba people as the deity of herbal medicines and healing. He was sought after by healers, herbalists, and those in need of healing. His wisdom and knowledge of plants were considered invaluable and his blessings were invoked during rituals and ceremonies involving medicinal herbs. I just want to know what specific plants, herbs and leaves he brought. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... I think it's really interesting because obviously like when you start seeing on TikTok how people are like, oh yeah, don't take these um, pills and all that because like there's yeah. stuff found in nature that have these same yeah. properties. I guess it's sort of that ilk, but you know. I'm going to still take research. my ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do but you research, know, I'll, I'll take a bit of mint tea as well. Yeah. Best yeah. of both worlds. <laughs> I'll, I'll put honey with that turmeric with some <laughs> ginger and all that. And yeah. And I'll take it with my paracetamol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Best of both worlds, you know. <laughs> okay. So that's all I have on Osain. Um, but it's important to understand the overlaps between his domain with like. Aja uh, yeah. and Babu yeah. because they sound very close together, you know. Yeah, they do. To do black forest herbs, healing, and yeah. um, all that stuff. So, you know, here's some quick differences that yes, I've please. sort of seen. Yeah. Um, so, while all three Orisha are associated with healing and medicinal practices, they have different focuses and attributes. Osain's primary, primary domain is herbal medicine, and he holds specialized knowledge on plants and their healing properties. He is deeply connected with the forest and represents the Yoruba reverence um, for nature and its healing power. Mm-hmm. So I just share some similarities with Osain, but I guess this is where I see as more of the female entity right? Um, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's associated with herbal medicine and the natural world. However, I just don't mean ex- extends beyond healing encompassing like fertility agriculture and prosperity Mm -hmm. she is regarded as the protect as a protective and nurturing figure um ensuring the abundance of crops and well-beings in of communities and she also takes over takes protection over the animals as well yeah on the forest yeah yeah and then there's babaluaye Mm -hmm. and babaluaye's domain is specifically focused on diseases purification and cleansing. Unlike Osayin and Aja, um, Babaluaya is associated with both healing and the infliction of these sicknesses. So he'll get you sick too. Yeah, he'll get you sick and he'll heal you. Damn. Yeah, depending if you learn your lesson or not. His rituals aim to cleanse individuals or communities of illnesses and to seek protection from contagious diseases. Nice. So it's important to note that the nuances and interpretations of these orishas of these orishas may vary across different regions and lineages within the Yoruba tradition. Um, the Yoruba pantheon is vast and diverse, encompassing numerous orishas plus one, um, with distinct attributes and responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Well, that was great. That's all I got on Osai. New Arisha unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great. That was a lovely episode. Yeah. All right. And there you have it. Another episode rich in stories and mysteries. Sorry, the light just went off, so really... Nepa. Um, Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it another episode rich in stories and mysteries inspired by the wonders of african mythology and culture we hope that your journey with us today was both enlightening and exciting before we go we would love to hear your thoughts about this episode share the magic by rating us and leaving a review every star and every word fuels us to keep bringing these mesmerizing tales to life week after week but wait there's more to the story there's As- more Yes, there's more. <laughs> As creators, we channel the energy, wisdom, and beauty of these African myths into unique pieces of art. Each artwork we create is an enchanting visual narration, a tangible fragment of the cultures and stories that we explore on this podcast. That is beautiful. Thank you. If you want to add a piece of African mythology to your space, make sure you check out our, our exclusive collection of paintings and artworks by acquiring our art. Not only would you support this podcast, but you'd also bring the vibrant spirit of these stories and deities into your own world. So don't miss out on the opportunity to own a story, a conversation piece, a window into another realm right in your space. Every stroke on the canvas speaks of a tale. Every hue echoes a story, a story waiting to become part of your narrative. Yeah, in other words, buy our art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> buy our art at dhc.com, you know? <laughs> We're just I, trying to say it nicely. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But, you know. But buy it. Yeah, buy it, you know. Help us out. Um, as we prepare for our next exciting minisode, be sure to turn on your podcast notifications so you won't miss any updates from us. Yep, stay connected, stay curious. And remember the magic of African mythology is always just a click away, be it through our podcast or our artwork. Exactly. So until next time, and as always, thank you for taking the time to explore the Wonderful amazing world, world of, of African, African mythology, mythology with us. Adra and Solomon. Your host, Adra and Solomon. Solomon and Adra. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a day. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.